Well, good, uh, good morning or good afternoon or good evening whenever you're watching this, but hi, Fellowship Bible Church, and um, glad you're with us again. Uh, hope, been, hope you've been able to, to worship God in uh, spirit and in truth. The words we are singing are certainly um, grounded in truth, and, and uh, I hope the Holy Spirit has guided your, your worship there in your home uh, this morning. So glad you're here. Hey, if you have, um, have never toured the old uh, mansion out there in Clark County, um, Long Branch, I hope you'll be able to do that sometime. It is, um, it, 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 it is a picture of, of, um, of old Virginia of many, many years ago. It's a beautiful place with its 400 acres of land and horse barns and um, just a, a beautiful picture of, uh, of Virginia. 1986, uh, a man by the name of Harry Isaacs bought uh, Long Branch and began restoring this beautiful mansion. Um, and he, he filled it with all sorts of, of art and antiques and he improved the, the grounds and um, just uh, uh, put a lot of money into this place. And then four years later, uh, he bought it in 1986, and in 1990, um, he passed away. Harry Isaacs um, died. Now, Harry Isaacs was never married. He had no children. There was no um, heir to leave the, this, this beautiful estate to, now worth millions and millions of dollars. And so, uh, eventually, it was uh, bequeathed to a, a nonprofit uh, foundation, and in 1993, it was put on public display. Now, just for a moment, uh, let, let's pretend, let's just think what it would have been like. Uh, Harry Isaacs had no heir, but let's just pretend that you got a phone call one day from a lawyer uh, who for years had been searching for a long-lost relative to Harry Isaacs, and that long-lost relative was you. And you get a call, and the lawyer is saying, we have searched for years to find you, but believe it or not, uh, you now own Long Branch, and it's uh, 400 acres of, uh, of, of land and all the artwork and antiques and everything that goes with it. It's yours. Well, after picking yourself up from the floor or being revived again, um, you might be recalling maybe a year or two, three years before, maybe five years before, you had actually toured Long Branch. And you had gone through and he looked at all the beautiful artwork and all the antiques and, and you, you enjoyed the grounds and, and, and then you, you went home. You never gave it another thought. But now, now it, it all means something completely different. And you're going over that inventory list of everything that is in Long Branch and, and all the, the beauty of this mansion and all the acreage that goes with it. You are now overwhelmed because it's been bequeathed to you. It is all yours. You've got it. And you've come to realize your life is never going to be the same since. All right. Back to reality, um, that's not going to happen. Um, it's, it's not going to happen. But if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, do you realize that you have an inventory, a, a, a list of, 
of blessings, of riches that are yours because you belong to Jesus. He has saved you. You are fabulously wealthy. I turn to uh, the book of Romans as we continue the study of the book of Romans and to that passage, chapter 5, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 gives us an inventory list of the blessings, of the, of the riches uh, that are ours, at least a partial list of the blessings uh, that, is, um, that are ours because of God's great grace. Uh, we read in uh, chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom, he says, we have also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Notice that the very first word of chapter 5 is the word therefore. Therefore. And when you see a therefore, you, you realize that it's, it's kind of, um, it's, it's trying to point us back to what has just been said and then make implications uh, in what is about to be said. Therefore, based on everything I've just said, the Apostle Paul said, based on the stuff that has been written in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, therefore, he's going to make some implications from that. So you really have to look and say, well, what has Paul been saying? What, uh, what is back there in chapters 1 through 4 that he's now drawing upon? Well, and just real quickly, I don't want to take a lot of time on this, but real quickly, um, those opening verses of, um, of Romans in chapter 1, Paul says uh, he's a bondservant of Christ Jesus, calls, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's message in the book of Romans can be summed up with those Three words, God's good news. That's what the word gospel is. It's the gospel, the good news about whom? About Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says, I've got some wonderful good news to share with you about Jesus and what he's done for you. But if you recall our study in the book of Romans, before he gets unpacking that good news, he's got to tell us a little bit about the bad news. And so chapters 1, 2, and 3 Uh, has been telling us about bad news. And so you'll recall maybe a verse like um, chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Remember chapter 3, verse 9 through 12. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. For it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one, There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. And then he kind of sums it up in chapter 3, 23, when he says, for all have sinned. All have sinned. That's all of us. Everybody who's been born in this world. We are all under sin. We've all sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God. And he'll say later, and the wages of those sin, that sin is death. The bad news. Now, it doesn't take a lot of convincing, I don't think, to, for us to believe that this world is a mess. 
this world is populated by unrighteous people, by people born in sin, born under sin, and born under the wrath of God. And remember the present tense? The wrath of God continues to be revealed, continues to be poured out upon the sinfulness of man. God's wrath abides. But he gives us a hint early on there in chapter 1 in that theme verse, verse 16 and 17, of a rescue plan. Paul wrote, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. For it is the power of God to rescue, for salvation, to rescue everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in this good news message, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Then he quotes from Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. For it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm going to tell you some bad news, but before I do, I want you to know that God has a rescue plan from all that bad news. He's got some good news, and it's about Jesus. And it's about a manifestation of God's righteousness. The rescue plan that provides unrighteous sinners the free gift, the free gift of God's own righteousness puts us in a completely different standing before God. God gives us the free gift of His rightness and that He looks upon us no longer in our unrightness, in our unrighteousness, but when we receive that gift of His righteousness by faith, He now sees the righteousness of His Son, and he declares us to be acquitted, justified. And so we read, for instance, in a passage, let me just read it, chapter 3, verse 21, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. It was there, it was foretold in the Old Testament. But it's a righteousness of God through faith, in Jesus Christ, for all who believe, and there's no distinction, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And then he explains it further in verse 24. We are justified. We are declared right. We are acquitted of all of our unrighteous deeds, our unrighteous crimes, our unrighteousness, by his grace. Well, how'd that happen? Through the redemption, through the payment of the price the shedding of his blood, the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a satisfaction, as a propitiation, atoning sacrifice in his blood. And it's all through faith. He says this was to demonstrate God's righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he had passed over sins previously committed, all those Old Testament sins that, that uh, animal sacrifices had never taken away. And he says that this is a demonstration, verse 26, of his righteousness at the present time so that he, God, would be both just, because he's got to be just, he's God, but how can he let sinners into his heaven? Well, the sins were paid for. So he is now both just and he's the declarer of righteousness. He's the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Jesus died on the cross. 
He paid for our sins. He became our redeemer to set us free. He was the redemption price paid in his own blood. He satisfied God's wrath that was against us. And so God now declares us right in his eyes. And you know, how does it all become ours? How does this wonderful eternal transaction take place? The moment of faith. And in chapter 4, and we spent three weeks talking about Abraham, Abraham is the great example of what a, what a man who is unworthy acquires by simple faith. Abraham was the man of faith. And so Paul in chapter 4 of Romans gives that illustration. Abraham himself was justified by faith. He was declared right before God. So that's chapters 1 through 4 in a nutshell. And so we come to chapter 5. And there's a shift of focus that begins to take place. A focus that shifts from justification, uh, which takes place in heaven, to sanctification, which is now being worked out on earth, to eventually glorification, which again takes place, is enjoyed in heaven. Therefore, he says in verse 1 of chapter 5, having been justified, having all this that is true of us, chapters 1 through 4, therefore, having been justified by faith, Paul says we can now unpack, we can open up the inventory list of all the wealth that is ours because of Jesus. And first on that list, it says in verse 1, having been justified by faith, what's first on the list? He says we have peace with God. Now we need to understand a little bit about what this peace is. And by the way, it's a present tense. We've got it now. It's an ongoing condition, and that's this concept of peace with God. It speaks of, a, of our present condition. Not, it, it's not about a feeling. It's not about something uh, internally that we feel. It is a condition that exists now between God and us. Think of it in terms of a, of a military term. Um, warring factions, warring parties, but then peace um, takes place and um, that, that war is over. It's a, it's a cessation of hostilities. It's over. And that's what Paul is saying here. Because of our declaration of righteousness, which takes place through Jesus Christ, having been justified by faith through Jesus, we have peace. Now, again, it's not talking about a, an emotion, a feeling of peace. That's the peace of God, by the way. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then what? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. That's the peace of God. Paul is talking about peace with God. The condition that exists, the cessation of hostilities between us and God. The The hostilities have ended. There is now wholeness. There is harmony. There is peace with God. The emphasis is on the reality that now exists, peace with God. And by the way, you think about this. Unbelievers, people who don't know Jesus, they can experience a type of peace, you know, quietness and peace in their their heart. 
but not possess the peace with God. Believers in Jesus Christ, we have the peace with God, but sadly sometimes as we focus on circumstances, we don't enjoy the peace of God. Uh, But what Paul is saying here, he's making the point that in the inventory of God's riches, first on the list is that we have peace with God. The cessation of hostilities is now there. Um, Why do you think he mentions this concept first? Why mention peace with God? Well, remember we just read it in chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being manifested. It's a present manifestation. The wrath of God is being manifested against all unrighteousness, ungodliness of men. The Bible says that before we knew Jesus Christ, we existed in a place of hostility. There was enmity between us because we're sinners and a holy God. There was personal hostility between us and God. The psalmist says, I can't remember exactly where, you can check it after, afterwards, but the psalmist says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, you, you will not hear me. God does not hear the prayers of the unrighteous. I mean, there's hostility that exists. Think about that. But that has now been removed because of our justification. We have peace with God. And there's a New Testament term that describes that. It's this big term, we'll see it down there in verse 10, reconciliation. It says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Reconciliation. It describes the change of relationship. Here we were at odds with God, back to back. And then Jesus Christ paid for our sins and God was reconciled to us. The world was reconciled and God turned as it were. And then by faith in Jesus Christ, the moment we trust Christ as our personal Savior, reconciliation takes place. There is now harmony. Um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, put it this way. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Peace. All through Jesus Christ. And by the way, this was all talked about. It was witnessed to by the law and the prophets. This is found in the Old Testament. It was prophesied that this is going to come through the coming Messiah, through Jesus. We studied the book of Isaiah, and and, uh, Isaiah talks especially about this, the peace of God, his shalom, his shalom. And so, for instance, remember Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7? Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and what? The Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Isaiah says, when the Messiah comes, chapter 32, the work of righteousness will be peace. And the service of righteousness, quietness and confidence forever. And then my people will live in a peaceful habitation and in secure dwellings and in undisturbed resting places. Or in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10, for the mountains will be removed and the hills may shake. 
but my loving kindness will not be removed from you. My covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. That great, um, wonderful chapter, chapter 53 of the suffering servant, the suffering Messiah, verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace, our shalom was upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. Our well-being, our harmony with God, the cessation of hostilities is all brought about because of the Messiah, of Jesus, who shed his blood and paid the penalty for our sins and satisfied God's wrath against sin. Having therefore been justified, we have shalom. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Now, verse 2 continues in the inventory of the riches of God's grace. It says, through whom also, through Jesus Christ also, we have obtained our introduction, our access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Here's the second uh, part of the inventory list. We have obtained our introduction, or uh, the other translations say our access into this grace. Our introduction or our access. Literally, this word means uh, a, a bringing near, a bringing near to. It was a word that was used to describe um, like a ship, that a merchant ship uh, that um, is now, now has access to the city through the harbor. It's given an introduction. It's given access because of the harbor. Or it was a word that was used uh, of a person who uh, came before a ruler or a king and was given the, the, the permission to now enter, was given introduction, access. Remember the story of Esther? The king put out the scepter, and Esther was able to have access to the king. That's what this word means, a bringing near to. Forty-five years ago, I was introduced to my wife, Lisa. I was involved in a campus ministry at the University of Nebraska uh, called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And um, my best friend uh, uh, knew somebody who was a good friend of Lisa's, and they were invited to come uh, to InterVarsity. And so on a Friday night in September of 1975, in walked Lisa, and he introduced me to her. I was given access to her, and eventually to her heart. Um, Don Denhartog, our pastor of biblical education here, he's got an older brother, Dave. And while, uh, while I was in seminary, uh, Don was there at the same time, and uh, we had to do a summer pastoral internship uh, that was required in, um, in, our, in our studies at Dallas. And um, so Don told me, because we were working together, we were friends back in seminary, and he said, hey, my older brother Dave is looking for uh, having someone to come to do a pastoral internship. So Don introduced me to his brother Dave. And so that summer, I, Lisa and I went and did our, my pastoral internship in a little town in Iowa where Dave was the pastor. Now that 
that introduction to Dave gave me access for all these years to um, his wisdom and his um, good advice. I will, I've called him up over the years and say, hey, Dave, what would you do in a situation like this? I was introduced to Dave. I was given an introduction and access to his wealth of godliness and wisdom, which, by the way, um, years later, after I was here, and we were looking for uh, increased staff here at Fellowship Bible Church, I called Dave, who was now a pastor down in Texas. And I said, we're looking for a particular uh, staff position here. And he says, oh, he said, um, I think I know someone. His name is John Morrison. And John was uh, a biblical counselor down in Houston, Texas. So Dave gave me an introduction to John Morrison uh, 27 years ago, and FBC has had the blessing of accessing John's wisdom and biblical counseling all these years. Well, what, what is Paul saying here? In verse 2, he's saying one of the rich benefits that we have uh, because we've been declared right through Jesus Christ in the eyes of God, one of the, one of the things on the inventory list is that we have obtained an introduction we have access to what? Well, it says we have access and introduction by faith into this grace, into grace, into grace in which we stand. You see, the moment we trust Christ as our personal Savior, the storehouse of God's vast supply, limitless, unending supply of grace is ours. We've been introduced. We have total access to it. It reminds me what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 when he said, things which eye has not seen or ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man. All that God has prepared for those who love him. <laughs> things that, that eye has not seen, ear has not heard. The, the storehouse of God's grace, the door has been unlocked we have access to his grace because of justification in Christ. Unhindered accent, a, uh, access, a permanent open door policy to God's grace. Jesus, or John actually said of Jesus in John chapter 1, uh, verse 16, out of his fullness we have all received, and then it says grace upon grace. It's a little preposition. Grace upon grace, we call it the preposition of exchange. The more we use grace, appropriate grace, the more we get grace. Grace in exchange for grace and for more grace. And you know, it's like a bank account. Can you imagine uh, a bank account that every time you wrote a check, say you wrote a check for $100, that amount is going to be put right back in your checking account. You write a check, you spend it, that same amount comes back in your bank account. That's what God does. You, you utilize His grace and He exchanges it for more grace. Why? Because we've been given an introduction. We've been given access to grace. You see, grace is God's operating principle to undeserving sinners. We get grace. Uh, it was God's grace that sent His Son to die on the cross. It was God's grace that paid for our sins. It was God's grace that set His Son to be the Redeemer, 
to satisfy his righteous holy demands against sin. It was all grace. We didn't deserve it. It's his grace that takes undeserving paupers dead in our sin and makes us a part of his family where we cry, Abba, Father. That's all grace. We don't deserve it. It's God's grace that has given us his Holy Spirit and that we can enjoy the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness. That's all of grace. We don't deserve it. It's God's grace that assures us, I'm never going to reject you. I'm always there with you. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear any evil. I'm with you. That's all grace. Grace is God's operating principle to undeserving. And the moment we've trusted Christ as our personal Savior, the door to the storehouse of God's abundant grace was open. And every moment, every tick of the clock, every moment of the day, there is a fresh supply. And so we cry out to God, God, I need your grace this moment. Help me to endure this today. Lord, give me the words to say. Or just walking about and saying, look at these beautiful trees. Look at the the time of year. It's all your grace. Grace, we have it. And one other thing, it says that we have obtained this. We have access. That verb is written in in a verbal form. It's called the perfect tense, which means this was an action that took place in the past, but it has enduring, ongoing, forever results. A unique tense in Greek, perfect tense. Something has occurred in the past, but its impact, its results go on and on and on. We have obtained an access to grace that will never be revoked. It'll never run out. It'll never run dry. But there's another blessing stated in this verse. We have obtained access, our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now, what does this mean, in which we stand? What does standing signify? I think the understanding here is that it's a a settled situation of abiding in, of enjoying the benefits of, of, of being at home in, of standing. There's a sense of resting here. This is ours to enjoy. It's apart from human performance. This is not about working and sweating and struggling to live within the the blessings of God's grace. We stand in the midst of it. We abide in it. We rest in the sufficiency of it. Apart from our own human endeavors, we enjoy the presence of His grace. It's our new position. And by the way, chapters 6, 7, and 8 will go through this in, in great deal. And would you believe it? This verb to stand is also in the perfect tense. Uh, The moment we trusted Christ as our Savior, we began our standing. We began being at home in His grace, and it has ongoing forever results. The value of our justification. It's on the inventory list. But here's another one. Last part of verse 2. Through whom also we have obtained or our introduction or access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And it says, and we exalt or rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I think you understand and know that the word hope that's used here in the Bible so many times is not a human kind of iffy, I hope so kind of, maybe, maybe not, I hope so kind of hope. 
No, when the Bible talks about hope like it does here, it's talking about confident expectation, assured, confident expectation. And what is our hope? What can we be confidently expecting to happen? It says we have hope in the glory of God. Now stay with me real quickly here because um, there's a story back in the gospel accounts when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the mountain of uh, transfiguration. Remember the story? And, um, and it's, well, let me read it to you here. Matthew chapter 17. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. In other words, Jesus shone in his, his post-resurrection glory. They saw him shine. Well, you know what 1 John 3, 2 says? Beloved, now we as children, we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. The hope of the glory of God. We will be like him. It's what Colossians chapter 3, verse 4 says, when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. It's going to happen. Paul took uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, said the very same things. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in, in a perishable body. It's raised an imperishable body. Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. And then Paul said, behold, I tell you a mystery. We'll not all go to sleep, but we all will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. We'll be changed in the glory of, of, of the risen one, the risen son. Um, Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, Our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has to subject all things to Himself. Folks, that's our coming glory. We will be like Him. That's our hope, our future glory. Conform to the image of Christ. The blessings of our justification is that we have a certain and sure hope. And it says, we exult, we rejoice in this, in this truth. The word there, rejoice and exalt, is a word that literally means to boast in. Now, granted, that doesn't, boasting is not something we should normally do unless it's boasting in God and His grace and what He's been given to us. And that's what Paul is saying here. We can boast, we can rejoice, we can exult in the fact that I'm going to get changed one day. And it is as sure as we are, I'm standing here this morning, it's going to happen. I was sown in dishonor, that's what I am now, but I'll be raised one day in glory. It's on the inventory list of what God has given us. 
and we can boast in it. We can be joyfully confident that's what is going to happen. And folks, I think this is one of the truest uh, forms of worship. Did, when we were singing this morning, when we were singing in your home, were you, were you boasting exultantly? I was thinking about this um, last night, and an old hymn came to mind. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it will be when we all see Jesus. And so I thought, hey, why not? There's no one here in this room, and, uh, but you're there. Let's sing it, okay? So, so just, you, you know this, sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing his mercy. Let's sing it together. Are you ready? Ready? Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy. Sing his grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place. Now we all sing it joyfully. In heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all shout the victory. Last line again. When we all see Jesus, what are we going to do? We're going to sing and shout the victory. You know, we don't have to wait to heaven to do it. <laughs> Paul is saying, check the inventory list of what is yours. It is certain and sure. We're going to be transformed in the moment of the twinkling of an eye. It's our hope. And so we can, don't have to wait to heaven to do it. We can sing it right now as, as lousy as we may sing. We, we can sing and shout the victory. Hey, are you concerned? Are you troubled about what's, what's going on in the craziness of this day? Are you concerned about a world that's held hostage by a, by a microscopic parasitic virus? Are you troubled that life and death is held in the balance by an unseen foe? financial uncertainty, uh, social turmoil, um, an unknown future? Does it trouble you? Take heart, O Christian. Pull out the inventory list of what is ours because we've been declared right by a holy God. Look at the good news of being fabulously wealthy in Jesus. Look at the good news that is based on past truth. We've been justified. Good news that is based on our present reality. We have peace with the Almighty God. Hostilities have ended. We have access moment by moment into the storehouse of His grace that we can draw upon every single moment of the day. Past good news, present good news, and we've got good news about the future hope the coming glory of God. You know, no one is probably ever going to bequeath us a beautiful Virginia mansion that's worth tens of millions of dollars and all the artifacts within it. Who needs it? We've got Jesus. And if we have Jesus, we've got everything, everything we need. We've got Him. It's wonderful truth. I hope you appreciate it from God's Word. Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And today, I hope that you will be set free from the fear of the present and that you'll enjoy the spiritual wealth, the good news of Jesus.
Would you bow your head, please, in prayer? Father, thank you for this opportunity to open your word, to be reminded in these two verses of what you've done for us. We're so grateful, Lord. And I pray that as we continue right now, right there in our living rooms, we're going to continue to sing. We're going to continue to rejoice in you. Lead us and guide us and, and uh, encourage our hearts as we lift up our voices. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.